Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Sox Talks, a three-part series exploring the Sarbanes-Oxley Act, or SOX, and the world of corporate reporting in the United States. I'm Julie Bell Lindsay, the CEO of the Center for Audit Quality, the voice of public company auditors in the U.S. Among other things, SOX established a strong independent regulator in the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board, or the PCOB, established rigorous independent standards for public company auditors and placed the oversight and retention of the external auditor in the purview of the audit committee. While for many Americans, capital markets might be just a news headline that tells them whether a stock index went up or down, on the other side of those markets are credit cards, mortgages, small business loans, and all the things Americans need to build their future. Things made possible by the trust and transparency that auditors and their regulators bring. Today, I'm joined by two people with decades of experience that have given them both significant insights into the world of public company audits and corporate reporting. First, Lynn Turner. Lynn has more than 40 years of dedicated business, regulatory, corporate governance, and academic experience related to forensic accounting and auditing. Lynn previously served as Chief Accountant at the Securities and Exchange Commission, or the SEC, contributed significantly to the development of the Sarbanes-Oxley Act as it was being written. Lynn currently serves on the PCOB's Investor Advisory Group as well as the Standards and Emerging Issues Advisory Group. Next, we have Wes Bricker. Wes is currently Vice Chair U.S. Trust Solutions at PwC, where he oversees the largest trust platform in the world by bringing together PwC's combined audit, ESG, digital assurance, and tax reporting capabilities. Previously, Wes served as PwC's U.S. Assurance Leader and also previously served as a Chief Accountant at the SEC. Wes and Lynn, thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. Thank you very much, Julie. Well, let's dive right into what I am just confident is going to be a very engaging conversation. Let's start with really financial reporting in the world post-Sarbanes-Oxley. As I mentioned, you have both been chief accountants at the SEC, and that role gave you insights into the regulators, accounting and auditing, standard setters, companies, audit firms, and investors' information needs. SOX, in particular, recognize that all of these parties have a role to play in the U.S. financial reporting system. In that context, what difference do you think SOX has made And which sections of Sarbanes-Oxley have made the most significant impact? 
Lynn, since you were there and involved in the early days leading up to SOX, I'm going to start with you. Thank you, Julie. Portions of SOX that were done in response to the corporate scandals, the Enrons, WorldComs, and the likes, were drafted to try to deal with some of the transparency issues that arose, and in particular with the quality of the auditing that was being done for investors. And the biggest portion of SOX deals with the creation of this public company accounting oversight board. That's probably two-thirds or more of the entire written act. So I certainly think the creation of that entity has had a, a significant impact in the two decades since it's got started, has further to go. But the other piece was we found that a lot of corporate executives really didn't think twice when they were committing fraud and violating the uh, security laws and causing billions of dollars in losses for investors as well as tremendous trillions in loss in capital markets at the time. And so SOX included a provision that significantly increased and enhanced the penalties and fine and also uh, prison time for corporate executives when they chose to go down that path. And I think that is another piece that has had a very significant impact in the capital markets today. Lynn, just to pile on to that, I know you were part of the comprehensive approach that is really reflected in the legislation. I think that's one of the cornerstones of its strength. It took an approach of looking at management accountability, the board, the internal functions within a company that support high-quality reporting, but then also oversight and governance, the independent audit committee, the auditors, the regulators, standard setters, and the like. It was a comprehensive approach. And I think that's really served us well over the past 20 years. Just to reinforce your points, which I really appreciate, the PSUB in its inspection activity has had a significant impact for good. Academics have studied this over the past 20 years, and we have good evidence whether it's objective evidence or subjective evidence, it's clear that the inspection activity has elevated the performance of auditors, for example. But it's also had a spillover benefit, not only in the U.S., for others who are associated with financial reporting and good audits, like independent audit committees, but also around the world in spreading and expanding the expectations and a higher level of performance for those who are responsible for good disclosures that really sit at the bedrock of our disclosure-based capital market system. Yeah, it's interesting. When Senator Sarbanes came to me in November of 2001 and asked if I'd help draft legislation and work on it, he asked us to help him set up hearings. And we actually created 10 days of hearings, each covering a separate distinct topic with some of the best-known specialists or experts in each of those areas throughout not only the United States, but throughout the and around the globe. And those people came in and provided their invaluable insights. And out of those 10 days, we were able to build each section of SOX and cover each of those areas that you described, Wes. That's great insights from, from both of you. Now I'm going to kind of flip it a little bit and say... If either of you were still in your seat as chief accountant, what would you do next? In other words, what do you think is left undone? So, Wes, I'll come to you first on that question. 
I think it's an important question for all of us to always ask, which is how do we continue to advance and elevate the quality of reporting? Because as much progress as we've made over the past 20 years you know, with the legislation and then the application over the past 20 years, there's always more to do. And so as I think about the market today, distrust seems to be the prevailing emotion distrust in institutions, distrust in business, distrust across society. And the role of good information really reinforces transparency, accountability, and that helps build trust. And so as I look at that, a couple of very specific areas that I would highlight would be, for example, the way the auditor communicates through the auditor's report. There's clearly been good progress made in the accountant certification, if you go back decades and decades ago to more recently critical audit matters. But there's clearly more to do there in the way the auditor expresses a point of view, identifying risk areas, the performance, uh, the assessments, the conclusions, other information that really helps to underpin the confidence that the audit function is providing on information. I'd agree with you on that, Wes. I do think transparency is the foundation upon which you got to build trust. If people are doing things behind closed doors where others, such as investors, can't see or understand what's going on, you just can't have trust. It just will not exist. And you certainly can't force it on people. And in that regard, then, we need to build into the system greater information that investors can use to make their decisions and feel comfortable with, if you will. You mentioned the expansion of the auditor's report. I couldn't agree with you more on that. Certainly, we've seen some expansion internationally versus what we have in the U.S., so that sets us up for some opportunities to take advantage of and move that forward. Corporate governance, there's still a lack of accountability and I think trust with the, the boards, and the boards have got to become more open within reasonable bounds. There needs to be a system of accountability established for corporate boards that we still haven't been able to create yet here in, in the U.S. And that corporate board's a very important part and was recognized in SOX as a very important part of the overall systems. So I think the notion of trust, increasing transparency are both very, very good. And just to build on that, Lynn, your point about corporate governance, I think, is a really impactful point. One of the areas in particular is you think about incentives for companies, management teams that comes together many times through a compensation committee and the relationship between an audit committee which is overseeing disclosures, a compensation committee overseeing incentives. I think that's an area that is worth further work as the auditor engages. One, to understand how the board sees incentives, but then to understand how those incentives translate into risk, potentially, in the reporting the environment, the entity-level environment in which reporting is done and accountability is then demonstrated and transparency, to your point, is really lived out. I think that's one of the areas where, as a system, we can connect dots in a more comprehensive way to continue to move this forward. Yeah, and also often, all too often, I've found that 
people in positions on boards, and of course I've been on a number of them, they don't like transparency. They fear it. But what I found is when you actually become much more transparent, it makes the organization a much healthier organization. The employees like enhanced transparency. Society in general likes more transparency. It establishes accountability. And it gives the CEO, the CFO, the opportunity to go out and sell what they want to do and build support for it. And, you know, people hate surprises. They just disdain surprises. And transparency ensures that you don't have those type of surprises that we had in the environment with the corporate scandals that gave rise to SOX. Talking about transparency, I know here towards the end of August, PwC, you just recently released your most recent audit quality transparency report. And on this topic, I just skimmed it recently, and there's one page in there that talks about all the communications between the auditor and the audit committee and all the different topics that are discussed. And there's not a lot of transparency in that. It's just really striking to me. I think that's a great area where there can be more, where more transparency, uh, to Lynn's point, builds trust, but also enhances performance. Performance by the audit team, performance by the audit firm, and performance by the audit committee. That transparency helps to build good practices, if not best practices, across the system. And so I do think disclosure and transparency Another example of coming out of the Sarbanes-Oxley Act was internal control reporting. And Lynn, I know you've been a champion of that over decades. It took decades of work. But that has really elevated the priority of the effectiveness of controls and procedures with reporting about when there is a deficiency that's material. It's then the basis for the conversation about whether it's a root cause of expertise or resources or business process design. And overall, it reinforces the quality of organizations. We see that also in academic research, that the market rewards companies that remediate those issues. The market punishes companies that leaves those issues unattended. And that helps build stronger companies. Yeah, Julie, to your point of the survey that PwC did, which provides some excellent information. There's also one out at the beginning of this year from Ernst & Young, and more recently one from Grant Thornton related to the area of climate change and ESG. All three of those surveys had similar findings in that they found that there is a tremendous level of disconnect between executives at companies, the corporate boards at the companies, employees, and even in some cases, customers or suppliers. But what they tell us is we are perhaps moving back in the direction of the corporate scandals that we had before, and that would be a very unfortunate thing for the literally tens of millions, hundreds of millions of investors in our capital markets, because that's the type of environment that gives rise to corporate scandals. So, we need to get moving on trying to come up with transparency in some of these areas like corporate governance that Wes and I have talked about, enhanced communication. Investors want to hear from auditors. I hear it time and time again. 
we want to know what's in the mind of the auditor. What is it that keeps them up at night? And if it's keeping them up at night as they're doing the audit, we want you as the auditor to be communicating to us on the investor side. That's the type of thing that builds trust. And the same thing as Wes said, compensation committees or governance committees, audit committees, tell us what you're doing. And I've sat on a public pension board where our meetings were all public. Not only the board meeting, but the audit committee meeting uh, was also public. And when I first went into that, I thought, oh my gosh, what have I gotten myself into? This is crazy. But as you go through that process and you see it and you live it, you find that it actually, again, makes the committee, makes the board better and enhances the health of the organization. And we've got to get away from this fear notion and be willing to try to incorporate some of these changes into our system because it'll make us stronger, not weaker. And you never get sued. People always bring up lawsuits. You know, it's a fact of life. But at the end of the day, you never get sued because you told someone something that was important. You get sued because you hit it you didn't didn't tell tell, them. and you, you didn't, didn't tell them. And so, or you told them something that was not accurate. Yeah, um, that's a minor detail. But yeah. yes, you know, if it's false, you're well, probably going to have some problems, and rightfully so. But. And I and I will, as you know, I'm a securities lawyer, so I'm often the cause, or my career, my profession is often the cause of that. But I, I completely agree with you. So it sounds like a theme here, if you were both back in your seats, would be around transparency in many different areas. Let's shift gears a bit and talk about an area that is certainly there's a lot more transparency, a lot more information being disclosed by public companies that is outside of the historical financial statements and internal control for financial reporting, which as we've discussed, that is largely what SOX was designed to deal with. It is without question that investors are asking for and relying on information that is outside of audited financial statements, whether it's ESG, climate-related information, non-GAAP information. Markets are moving a lot on non-GAAP information, XBRL information, and the means by which investors are getting that information is outside of the standard 10Ks and 10Qs often, earnings releases, other types of information. Wes, what lessons from Sarbanes-Oxley and its impact on financial reporting do you think can be drawn for these new areas of corporate reporting? And based on your experiences, you know, what challenges would companies face and how does the external assurance play a role in all of this information? Really important question and, and topic that the information outside of the financial statements, similar to the financial statements, needs to have at least two attributes. Number one, it needs to be available. So this is a transparency point. But then secondly, the market has to have confidence in its reliability. And it's those two attributes that enable investors to use that information or set another way for the information to be decision useful. So then the question is, what does it take to really reinforce the decision usefulness of the information? And I would focus probably less on the availability. There's a lot of information sitting on corporate websites. Maybe it's in investor surveys, conference call scripts, et cetera. It's available. But the question is, is it reliable? Is there confidence in the reliability? And that's where I think the lessons that Lynn has talked about and we've worked on over the years of reinforcing financial reporting's reliability can really be applied. Process and controls, oversight from the board to understand whether there's sufficient resources that's going into the reporting process. And yes, is there an outside assurance provider? All of those elements 
help reinforce the credibility of that information to then enable it to be used more consistently to make investment decisions, whether it be in assessing prospective cash flows, which goes into the pricing of securities, or assessing the performance of the company and going into voting. Voting, whether it's matters related to selection of directors or or other matters. So the core elements that go into the financial statements, I think do have applicability outside of the financial statements and with concerns about the quality of information, whether it's greenwashing or a gap between what companies are saying versus what they're doing. Is it realistic? Are they on track? All of those things really come together with a question of the quality and reliability of that information. And that's where I think the profession um, has an obligation to really express a point of view about how to move that forward. You know, Julie and Wes, back about 1985, in the mid-1980s, all of the large audit firms wrote to the commission suggesting that there be much enhanced and greater disclosure of risks that companies were facing. And to incorporate that into what's known as management's discussion and analysis, which is a role that gives management the opportunity to really tell the story of the company through the eyes of management to their investors. Unfortunately, at the time, the commission decided not to require an audit of that MDNA, which is, again, that MDNA is the crux of the financial statements, or not the financial statements, but the filing with investors. And it goes hand in hand with the financial statements. You need both of them to understand the story. We audit the financials, we don't audit MDNA. Since that time, we've had great expansion in additional what we call non-GAAP performance metrics that get disclosed, but there's no testing of those. And I've actually seen court cases where that information was just flat out wrong and misleading. More recently, this spring, the SEC proposed climate change and related disclosures and proposed that we have an audit of that as well. The one hangup that we get into is investors tend to say, oh, let's make sure we get the audit of the financial statements right, okay? If we can get that right, then we need to move on to these other areas. And I would totally agree with that. And there's things to do to get it right, like Wes's enhancing of the audit report, which I think he and I agree on. Same thing on auditors independent, strengthening that and making it more transparent. But on some of these other items where we know there's questions about the data you can throw in the tagging of the data, which has terrible controls and processes around it in general these days. We can enhance all that and make our capital markets more healthy, more transparent and stronger. I know there's a theme to what we're <laughs> saying here today, but it just it always takes you back to that. So I'm hoping that as we go forward and certainly think it's something that needs to be looked at closely by Congress and regulators. Let's make sure we get the audits done. The PCLB's got that obligation. They need to get that done along with the firms. But then we need to take a look at these other areas, assuming we can get that done. Then we need to look at getting some assurance on the non-GAAP numbers where everyone acknowledges there's problems, the XBRL tagging, where the data is just what goes in comes out and it's not good, you know? It's like watching sausage get made. 
and MDNA and some of this other stuff, I think that would serve us all very well. I hear management also say, though, oh, our disclosures are all too thick. No one can read them. It's too much to digest. I found it was one of the founders of a very successful research firm. And I can tell you, we had electronic digital tools that allow us to get through those filings, even the very thick ones, very expeditiously. In today's digital world, the thickness of the document should not turn around dictate what is or is not disclosed. It needs to be whatever is material information to investors, we need to get to them. I think those are really powerful points. And I would just underscore that the audit profession always has to deal with the audit of the financial statements. That has to be reliable. That has to be relevant. If there's a job one, that's job one. And then as we think about the information that might sit outside of the financial statements, which is also important, that also needs to be investor grade. It's that foundation, that track record of trust and the reliability of the work that really gives the profession an opportunity to add confidence. But it's not the other way around. Like it starts with the financial statements. You know, Wes, and we've both been auditors. We've both signed audit reports. I got to tell you, an auditor has a perspective that few other people outside of perhaps just management have of a company. When they do the audit right, they really understand the business. They know what's going on. They know what's keeping the CEO and CFO up at night. And when I was at the SEC, we even got a letter from Warren Buffett about this. And, you know, Warren's letter to us, in essence, said, if there's something really material in there that you were wanting to know before you invested in the company, then we ought to have our auditors tell us that, you know. And that's not only just with respect to the financial statements, but it's with respect to these other areas as well. So the knowledge that the auditor can bring to that process is phenomenally valuable. So, Lynn, you previously mentioned the PCOB and their responsibility in overseeing the external auditor. And as we're talking about what's changing in corporate reporting and regulation needs to keep up with that, one thing that has not changed is the need for high-quality audits, and that is the PCOB's oversight role. You do serve on the IAG and the CAG, if I have that acronym correct. The PCOB has a very ambitious standard-setting research agenda with pretty much an entirely new board. What do you think are the biggest opportunities for the PCOB as they continue in their mission on fostering high-quality audits and protecting investors? Well, to continue with what we've been saying, the PCOB definitely needs to become much more transparent than what they are today as far as areas they need to improve standards on. And I think, again, consistent with what we've been saying, they need to develop and enhance the system of quality controls within the firms. And the firms have signed up for that. In fact, internationally, the firms have even adopted standards internationally for themselves and driven the process that are better than what we have in the U.S. with the PCLB. So that's one. That's right, Lynn. Yeah. yeah, that's one area where the PCLB has to step up. And with that, they can also enhance the governance at the firms. You know, sometimes we hear this cry from the corporate community, well, if if we have to do it, the audit firms should have to do it. And I'm quite frankly sympathize with them. So the firms need to step up on governance, step up on quality controls and, and those areas and transparency. And the PCLB can work on that. And this notion of communication that Wes has 
talked about passionately, I might add. He's right. We need to get better communication, more open communication from the auditors directly to investors in their reports or other forms of communication. I agree with all that. I would just add one of the pieces that when I know you've you've worked on for a long time, the performance standards. Those standards are are normative. They need to meet current expectations, but it's been a long time since many of them have been um, updated. There's a significant amount of uh, resource needed and effort needed to accomplish that. But as as we look at always staying current with standards, that's one area where I would I guess, also add the concept of technology. And both of these topics are very much on the PCB's agenda. They've prioritized this as part of their strategic plan, I think appropriately. But the role of technology is also fast-moving. And today, as, as you look at many of the standards, it's a neutral choice. You can test something manually or you can test it, you know, maybe a full population, et cetera. That's an area where there are important choices, it seems to me, for the PCB and for the profession to continue to elevate performance so that expectations of the way information is consumed, the way record keeping occurs within companies, the way management accesses information to make decisions about the affairs of the corporation, all of those areas have evolved and will continue to evolve. And that's why I mention it not to flag it as something the PCB has missed. It's clearly on their agenda, but just as as underscoring the relevance of those topics. When it comes to technology, when we founded the research firm that I mentioned earlier, we went out and looked at all the electronic systems, you know, sources of information that were available in the public domain. And we put together a system and computer models and software that proved to be fabulous in terms of being able to go in and dissect a company and its financial statements and its MDNA. And that information has been readily available out there for some period of time. So having served on a couple of audit committees, so a number of audit committees actually, I find the audit profession comes in and says, we are doing digital type analysis today. And when I ask, oh, whose databases are you running against? It's always just the company's databases. And that's a tremendous lost opportunity. They don't run against publicly available databases. So they miss a big piece of information. Quite frankly, it's often those pieces of information that turns up frauds. So we've got to, the PCLB plays a key role here, as you've mentioned, Julian, Wes. The PCLB needs to step up and incorporate into their standards, and I'd actually like to see it as a separate standard, that the auditing profession has to start looking outside just the narrow silo that's the company, but looking out to sources of information that will provide them valuable analysis uh, with respect to the company and be able to turn up situations like an Enron or a WorldCom early on before it causes major disruption to the market and billions of losses to investors. So, yes, I agree with you on technology, but it can't be technology that just keeps the auditor within the silo. If the auditors, I found, don't look out beyond the data that management provides them, let's 
keep it in mind. Management gives the auditors the numbers. Then they give the auditors the evidence for those numbers. If you think they're going to, management's going to give the auditor evidence that says, hey, we're lying, that ain't going to happen. So that's why we've got to expand the scope of the audit and the things that auditors look on. And if we can do that in a digital world, that will be a phenomenal accomplishment. And that is a great segue to my last question for both of you. And this will be kind of a quick hit. But what do you think a decade from now will have changed the most in auditing and the day-to-day activities of auditors? And again, just kind of a quick hit on what you think will have changed the most. And Lynn, I'll start with you. Julie, of course, we're out here in the West where water is all important and You know, in the next 10 years, we're going to see places where the faucets don't run anymore. And I think the concept of climate-related issues and disclosures, we're seeing it here in the West in the U.S. We're seeing it devastate places in like China, where 80 million people have lost their hydropower. We've seen it wreak havoc in mainland Europe and Britain, certainly the ice caps. And I think it's coming at us like a ton of bricks, and it's going to be here. It is here now. It's actually been here for a while. And if we don't react to that in our capital markets, be us. So well said. So well said that businesses are impacted by the environment, and they also have an impact on the environment. And the auditors can deal with both sides of that and absolutely need to. But that requires also investment investment in the expertise, investment in the discipline, the standards, addressing the very sensible expectations of more information, more transparency. I think that's one of the most important areas, the climate areas, the impact of climate on the financials, impact of climate on a business model for auditors to understand. I also think that in 10 years, the continued approach of the way We consume information. We consume information in pieces, whether it's revenue or maybe it's inventory or maybe it's R&D expenses. We consume information in pieces. Much of the premise of the work that we do in auditing is in relation to the financial statements as a whole. And so that's not a new issue, but it will become increasingly important that we wrestle with the scoping, the risk assessment, the standards, the reporting as we move from financial statements as a whole to financial statement data elements and then statistical information that may correlate with prospective cash flows. Those are areas that give me great optimism that the profession and standard setters and regulators and the system, you know, we talked early in the podcast about the system working as a whole gives me great optimism that we can do it, but equally the concern that we must do it. Well, thank you both very much, Wes and Lynn, for joining us today. Your insights have been invaluable, really engaging discussion. And thank all of you for listening to our guests' insights on how the audit profession has improved and changed since Sarbanes-Oxley and the role of the auditor in creating trust and reliability in areas beyond the financial statements. For more information on the CAQ's work and the work of public company auditors, please visit our website at thecaq.org. Thank you. 
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.